0: Hey, Jonathan here. Just a quick note about the audio. We did have a little bit of technical difficulty with Alex's audio, so you'll hear some popping in it for a little bit. I tried to clean it up the best that I could, but I just want to be clear that that's not your speakers or your headphones. That is on our end, and I apologize for that. It'll go away after about the 13 or 14 minute mark, but it'll be a little bit in and out until then. So just wanted to make you aware, and with that being said, please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Film Link Podcast.
1: A time traveling podcast where we analyze all that goes into effective filmmaking. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Alex.
0: And this is episode 144, a podcast guide to time travel.
1: That's right, we're going to be talking about one of the most popular sci-fi movie conventions of all time, one of the most popular blockbuster movie conventions of all time, Time Travel, which has a long history in human culture, and we're going to dive into that real quick before we talk about the movies themselves. But rest assured... There's many flavors of time travel. There's many kinds of time travel. And there's lots of ways to do it and use it for various effects in movies. And there's a lot to talk about today.
0: But first. And also, I want to say this at the beginning. There's a lot that we're not going to cover. So when we don't mention your favorite time travel movie, it's not personal. We're just, there's so much. that We we also might few. have already covered it on something else. <laughs> yeah, that's else. true. You that can always check the website. <laughs> you can. The website has a categorized searchable database of all the movies that we've covered. We'll try to mention some of them here.
1: Yeah, we we have, I mean, I think I can see two, like one or two on the list right now, but there are like, there. that's a, been like something that's happened more and more as the podcast has gotten older, is just like we have an idea for a show and then uh, we've already done some of the stuff on it, so we've got to find another way to do it. But anyway, talking about the history of the concept of time travel. Both Hindu and Buddhist texts make mention of the relativity of time, and that it passes slower in heaven than it does on earth. The Japanese tale of Urashima Taro tells the story of a fisherman who visits an undersea palace and returns to land 300 years in the future, and Jewish tradition tells of a 1st century BC scholar who fell asleep 70 years and awoke to find all new people who didn't know who he was. Um, And now that uh, you've kind of heard some of the mythological lore first mentions of storytelling, it makes its way into text with stuff like the 17th century Chinese novel, Supplement to the Journey to the West. It mentions a mirror and jade gateways that connect various points in time, kind of like time portals. There's the story that I read in school, and I'm sure many of you did as well, *Rip Van Winkle, uh, a famous American uh, short story from 1819 by Washington Irving, uh, which is the most likely the earliest mention of time travel in... uh, um, a written published story
0: like that. Um, that one's all yeah, and that one's a little tricky because it's not even. It's, yeah, it's not even it, the most unplausible like version because he falls asleep for I think twenty years. So it's yeah, like he just falls almost doable. Years. It's like basically like a coma state.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like time travel through coma, but you can yeah. see like the. And the, it's really the, a thought
0: experiment, which a lot of time travel stories are.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like the beginning parts of the crystal that is the crystal matrix that is the time travel concept are starting to form in the popular culture, but it's not quite there yet. Like I'm I'm kind of very interested in this way that time uh, travel starts off as like this esoteric thing that's being talked about in vague folklore, folklore Mm -hmm. tales or religious texts. And how nowadays, if I walked up to anybody anywhere in the world and could somehow tell them in their language, ask them what they thought about time travel, they would know what I'm talking about and probably have multiple story references for it. Yeah. Like that transition of the, movies, of the concept culture. mostly through movies, too. Mostly through movies, yeah. Um, of course, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, 1843, another very well-known work, involves a form of time travel uh, through uh, visions and memories. Uh, it's That's the injected- Rod
0: Serling effect that I'm going to bring up later. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. It's injected into the public imagination in a big way for the first time by the H.G. Wells novel from 1895, The Time Machine. Uh, which we'll kind of be talking about today in one of these movies. Uh, probably first put into film through several early adaptation of Mark Twain's... Uh, movie or his movie his book (laughs) a connecticut yankee in the king arthur's court uh which was made in the 1920 in a 1921 silent version and a 1931 talkie version and then again in a 1949 musical version because hollywood has always been about the remakes i don't know if you guys knew that but it's not new uh some science but oh gosh don't trust us we're film majors Um, many scientists believe that backwards time travel is just impossible because of the problems introduced by causalities and various paradoxes, which are explored
0: in movies. Apparently there's Uh, no paradoxes in forward time travel.
1: Uh, less paradoxes, (laughs) not no, but less. Uh, Stephen Hawking formulated the chronology protection conjecture, which basically says the laws of nature prevent time travel. The mini worlds interpretation, as, or as we would call it, the multiverse theory, would suggest that a time traveler couldn't travel to their own past, but would enter a new world altogether, splitting off a new world from the timeline through their act of time travel, which is a crazy concept that most people would actually understand now just through the power of Marvel. Um, the absence of time travelers in our own history, analogous to the, is analogous to the Fermi paradox itself, uh, is often held up as proof that backwards time travel will never be invented, um, or at least that the time travelers are really good at hiding. <laughs> time dilation, or forward time travel, appears much more possible, though, and involves essentially slowing down the experience time Of an individual object or person, so that general time passes quicker, which is kind of what happens in like uh, parts of interstellar. Yeah. Uh, And then it's also, it's kind of, it's not exactly the same thing, but relative time is kind of like a a subjective subject in a lot of ways. But like if you cryogenically freeze somebody, uh, like they do an alien, and then wake them up later, like 70 years in the future, but they haven't aged at all. That's yeah. technically a form of time travel, you know, Rip Van Weekel without the aging. Right. Um, so there's some science for you. I don't understand most of it, but I do understand kind of like those broad concepts because they exist in so much pop culture content. Time has become such a prevalent thing in storytelling that like we all understand it, you know. At least like the broad concepts of how it exists in story, right? All right, Jonathan. So what are we talking about today on the podcast?
0: We're starting off with a film from 1979 called Time After Time based on Carl Alexander's novel of the same name starring Malcolm McDowell, Mary Steenburgen, and David Warner. And the one of those that you think is Jack the Ripper is not. Um, (laughs) Directed and written by Nicholas Meyer and cinematography by Paul Lohman. And then we'll be talking about Back to the Future from
1: 1985, We Had To, starring... Especially because we haven't covered this one somehow yet on the podcast. Yeah, it's
0: actually surprising.
1: Starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leia Thompson, and Crispin Glover. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, with a screenplay by Zemeckis and Bob Gale, and cinematography by
0: by Dean Cundey. You know, I think the thing is... That's that about that movie is we haven't done a Robert Zemeckis episode yet. We've covered a lot of his big ones, but we haven't covered him yet. So that's probably why we haven't gotten to that. Probably. Then we'll be talking about Groundhog Day because we have to from 1993 starring the incomparable Bill Murray, uh, Andy McDowell and Chris Elliott directed by Harold Ramis. Screenplay by Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin and cinematography by John Bailey. And then finally, or maybe firstly, we'll be talking about Tenet from 2020.
1: Get it? It's a palindrome. It's forwards, same and backwards. Starring John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, and Kenneth Branagh. Um, Directed by Christopher Nolan, and screenplay by Nolan and Emma Thomas, and segmentography by um, Hoyt van Hoytema.
0: All right, so with all that, let's get into Time After Time from
2: 1979. Jason, take it away. Time After Time from 1979. In Victorian England, H.G. Wells gathers his friends for the unveiling of his newest invention, a time machine, to take him forward to his projected utopia of the future. Little known to Wells, his friend John harbors a bloody secret. When the police come calling to find that Dr. John is really Jack the Ripper, the madman slips away in the time machine, leaving Wells to chase him down. But what's waiting in the future isn't the promised utopia, but 1970s San Francisco. All right, Alex, talking about different
0: mechanics of time travel, which most of these use different ones. Actually, the first two will use basically the same mechanics, and that's what I call... like A DeLorean? no, but it's like it's a vehicle. You're using a vehicle or some kind of built like a man-made time travel device that allows you to target where you're going. So like you're basically driving through time. And that's kind of what we have it with, the, with the time travel sled in Time After Time and with the DeLorean in Back to the Future. They can set what time they want to go to, press some buttons, doodly do, and uh, they're off.
1: I would call the HG Wells time sled the um, the Delorean of the eighteen hundreds.
0: Absolutely, do it with style. I think I would argue this is like the most common form of this time travel. This one's very common.
1: This one's very common. I think it, it's I also mean, it's
0: clearly popular because of Back to the Future. But you have the same thing with Bill and Ted. Um, to some extent, this is similar to like a um, like a like a capsule. So you have kind of the capsule thing in Tenet, where you walk into a door everything changes around you and you walk out. That's also like in a movie called Timeline, they do the same thing. Um, In Primer, they do the same kind of thing. You go into the capsule, you come out at a different time. But it's like, the idea is that it's a man-made construct for time travel.
1: Yeah, and, and speaking about how time travel is used from, like, a story perspective, because um, I, th- I think I found this part the most fascinating for this episode, but uh, this is, like, time travel very much as a story MacGuffin, like, a plot device. Oh,
0: it means nothing
1: and in this movie. It means, yeah, because it basically doesn't mean anything, and you kind of just use it for to inject an element of fantasies, or, like, essentially, what it essentially is is the exotic destination in a foreign land you know yeah so that's the other thing is that it's
0: not just a time machine because he goes to san francisco from london it makes no sense (laughs) they didn't even bother to explain that part
1: yeah that part is weird
0: like Um, i was like okay he uses a time machine because this one uh, as opposed to the delorean this one actually doesn't move it looks like a vehicle but it stays in the same place and time moves around it and so and then he comes, he comes out of it and he's in a museum dedicated to H.G. Wells, which is like, okay, that's fun. They turned his house into a museum. No, he transported to a museum to H.G. Wells in San Francisco for no reason.
1: Yes, yeah. And essentially the, what it becomes is a way to inject that, that elements, element of fantasy and an element of a fish out of water story.
0: Right. Into, that's that's what it is
1: into the plot, and then there's also another plot that's happening that is in, actually important to the characters, which is the serial killer and the romance plot. Yeah. Uh, in this case, but like the time travel just serves up as kind of like a part of the set dressing for everything else that's going on. To have like this weird 1800s guy who's like showing up in you know, 1970s San Francisco being like, wow, this place is weird.
0: Yeah, so here's the thing. And this is what, like, this movie in its most high-minded is about, which is the idea that H.G. Wells was a big proponent of progressivism and um, a lot of ideas that kind of caught up to him later on. But he he was expecting this utopia in the future, right? So he goes roughly 100 years in the future and finds – The 70s, and he finds a lot of bad things in the 70s. And someone actually had a really insightful thought: It's like, hey, HG Wells bringing about a bunch of progressivism was also operating roughly the same time as Jack the Ripper, which is kind of this become this mythological symbol for violence. And so they kind of put them together. They're friends. They don't. HG Wells doesn't know that. John is Jack the Ripper. They actually named him John. Anyway. um,
1: Yeah, you never know that your friend's a serial killer until you know your friend's a serial killer. (laughs) Until the police bust down
0: your door. Yeah. Um, So they have this, but the whole thing is, is this love versus violence throughout time. And that's kind of the point that they get to is that like, there's always going to be violence. There's not this like utopic state necessarily, but there always has to be um, an element of, Love and goodwill that is there to to counteract it because what what Jack the Ripper comes there and when they meet is probably like the best like insightful point I think the film doesn't deliver on all the things that it sets up but Jack the Ripper is like flipping through the TV stations and just station after station is news violence cartoons violence 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 um, and he's like I've come home like the world caught up with me it didn't catch up with you. Um, and so that's – I mean that's kind of where you are in the 70s transitioning to the 80s is a lot of social movements happening at the same time as a lot of um, violence and turmoil. And so this film is kind of putting those two ideas head to head in in manifest form but it also doesn't deliver on them all the way. Like I wish they would have no. developed some more stuff. Like at the beginning of the movie um, – Wells and, and Jack the Ripper are, like, playing chess. And there's this whole thing where they battle off, which is which is pretty well-used trope. I mean, it's from 79. But still, the idea is Jack I the Ripper says, X. you'll never, right, you'll never beat me until you learn how I think. Um, because Jack the Ripper's like, I'm already in your head. I know how you think. And I really, really wish that that would have followed through more because there was an opportunity for Wells to kind of have to go down the darker path a little bit and then realize how to combat it but he doesn't really he's just he's really kind of a step behind the whole time and then yeah and then he wins via deus ex machina basically yeah the plot kind of resolves
1: itself on accident
0: yeah with this yeah that the the little pin in the time machine that just makes no sense is literally just there to end the movie yeah basically basically
1: yeah the um there is a good theme build up. It doesn't really land anything. So it kind of just ends up being like a semi crime thriller, semi fish out of water romance thing.
0: Yeah. I very, thought it was going to be a lot funnier than it was, but it's actually nah. played pretty straight.
1: Yeah. It's it's like a very. It's like a really it'd be like a nice movie to catch on TV on like a school night, you know,
0: like yeah. Or like if you're studying HG Wells, like why not just watch it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's very, you know, it's solidly made. I wouldn't say it's spectacular in any of its technical Mm. regards, but it is, it is well made. Um, the writing is, some of the effects are like
0: very early doctor who kind of a thing. Very early doctor who first season of, of star Trek. Mm. -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's from, from a very similar era. Right. Um, and you know the performances aren't terrible; they're interesting. Uh-huh. Um, they're, I would say, like this is like. I saw someone describe this movie as comfort food, and I kind of get where they're coming from. Like, there's nothing spectacular about it, but it's just like a solid, like mid movie, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And and like like I, I I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'll remember it forever, but I did enjoy it.
0: Yeah, yeah, say, the interactions between Wells and Amy are are fun, um, and yeah. they have a good kind of on screen relationship. Good dynamic, yeah.
1: I do, I do. I think I, the part I enjoyed most was that it was the second movie I've seen Mary Bergen in where she is living in the big city, and a strange man in a sled shows up from an exotic location and turns her world upside down.
0: And wearing a funny hat.
1: And is wearing a funny hat <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. The other movie being Elf. Where all of those same things She's happen.
0: Yeah, she's the stepmom in Elf.
1: Yeah, it is It is absolutely wild that it, like the same thing happened. Um, and it, Elf is very much like a similar movie, right? Where it's like a stranger it is, yeah. in an exotic foreign land who goes on an adventure in the big city. Um, there's
0: just no uh, rapist homicide in Elf. That yeah, I there's, no, there's
1: no Jack the Ripper in Elf
0: yeah. that we know of. <laughs> it's been like a year since I've watched it, so... Um but yeah I do think it's kind of interesting that they do set it up as this sort of triumphant love story and there's a lot of like these weird like, paths to go down Yeah, I know and again it's it's got a lot of these pro- pro- progressivist ideals and stuff in it but like the choice of HG Wells and and Amy who he did marry a woman named Amy Robbins as his second wife Um, but he also had a lot of affairs with her later on in his life and uh So it's kind of just funny that they they're like setting this whole thing up as like H.G. Wells and he gets the girl and it's like, yeah, doesn't go great after that. But
1: it's also weird that in a a fish out of water story like this, we see kind of not that much of San Francisco.
0: Oh, yeah, there's like the one shot of him struggling to walk uphill and that's like the San Francisco joke, but there's not. Oh, and then they they do mention the Golden Gate Bridge. Um. So there's like like, there's tiny bits of it,
1: it. yeah. But I will say, like the montages in Elf are like using that as a comparison. Right is is like this fantastic, fantastic exploration of like Buddy encountering with all these different aspects of life that he'd be unfamiliar with about the big city and like seeing like learning more about how his worldview through his lack of world experience and especially talking taking off of like what you said earlier about. How there's all these themes about like how the duality of violence and love in the world and how in like San Francisco, 1970, San Francisco, it's kind of like they just got both dialed up to 11.
0: Right. Like it's a great setting. For it it doesn't make sense, but it's perfect.
1: What if we saw, you know, HG Wells exploring more of the city? He could be. And you don't even have to like make it like its own thing. It could be part of his
0: falling in love with Amy. They have like chasing after Jack the Ripper because the the whole there's like ten minutes of him chasing Jack the Ripper, which is basically the scene that you're talking about. But it's him going from bank to bank and like eating McDonald's in between, and that's like his experience of San Francisco.
1: Stuff, but it's not like you know. Considering the themes at play, there's some interesting stuff you could do. You could see. You know, we could get
0: a street mugging involved. We could get. Um, well, beyond the, the violence aspect, you have HG Wells, one of the foremost futurists and father of science fiction, literally in the future. And I think yeah. one thing that's interesting about this is that they don't take that time like in Elf, Buddy is enamored with everything that he encounters that he's never seen before in this one, it's like H.G. Wells has a much more rational approach, which makes sense, but he kind of like picks up on stuff and then he's just like normal about it. Like he learns what a phone is, yeah. he can use it. He's not that in it, but it's like you're he was he was amazed. He was showing off his light bulb in his house back in London yeah. and he gets you to think London. He'd be calling people for lols and like racking up a phone bill or for Amy. Just like <laughs> just destroy the phone, like look at it. How does it work? Like what are yeah, all these things? things How do apart? they? Like, taking notes, like, just, just, like, again, this, this is one of those movies, and we've talked about several movies like this, but there's so much potential here that I get the the track that they took, but there are a lot more interesting tracks that I think they could have gone down.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And they could have still had all of this. Like, the, the, the serial killer plot and the love plot could be motivations to explore more of those themes, like you're yeah. talking about, but... He could learn
0: technological ways to overcome violence or, you know, whatever. Like there are things you can do. Uh, Yeah. Like there, there, there was, there was, they left a lot
1: on the field here. Let's say that they they left a lot on the field here, but this is like a really good explanation of like the very basic, like OG version of time travel. It's the kind of time travel that you often see in like 1960s movies and older movies like that.
0: Because um, it is, like is you said, a MacGuffin. It's yeah. let's use this to get on with the show.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just a fantasy element, and it's not part of the plot element. It doesn't it doesn't create any, or I should say, it's a plot element. No, it's not even a plot element. It's a dressing element. It's just a set dressing. Yeah. Um, the next movie we're going to talk about is when it gets integrated into the plot. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. But but yeah. That's uh, Time After Time. It's a fun watch. It's worthwhile if you're interested in HG Wells. But I don't know if they I would They didn't even use that it. song in it, did they? they did they
0: use Time After Time? I don't remember it. Because I was kind of expecting it, and I don't remember it being in when there. Did, when did Time After Time, the song, come out? I don't know. I kind of just assumed that the title came from that song. Uh, 83. Oh, it's actually before the song. That's interesting.
1: Ah, uh, maybe the song is based on this movie.
0: You ever, you ever thought about that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Or, the writing began with the title, which Lopert's seen TV Guide referring to the science fiction. It is! The song is based on the flipping movie! <laughs> <laughs> hey, we discovered something. Oh my gosh. Okay.
1: Well, well we've discovered something for ourselves. Other people already knew about that. But yeah, that's that's a fascinating tidbit. <laughs> time after time, the song... The title, at least, is based on yeah. after this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, heck, even the themes of the title of, like, time after time, you know, you could do a lot with that theme. Like, time after time, it's violence versus love. Time after time, yeah. Jack the Ripper almost gets away. Time after time, H.G. And they kind of did that, I foot. think,
0: with the, uh, um, I, like, I feel like that works. They got enough of those themes in there that the title is subtle enough. They didn't really need to hammer it in anymore. Um But, yeah, I'll give it a pass now that I know that it came out before the song. But I was like, where is the song? (laughs) Oh, yeah. How could you not include that? All right. right. That's enough. (laughs) That's enough time after time. Let's,
1: Let's move on to Back to the Future from 1985. Jason,
2: take it away. Back to the Future from 1985. Marty is your typical American teenager, except for one thing. He's friends with a mad scientist who's invented a time-traveling DeLorean. After an unexpected run-in with terrorists leaves the past as the only escape for Marty, this teen from the 1980s finds himself stranded in his parents' era, the happy days of the 1950s. Now Marty needs to fix his own damage to the timeline by getting his parents together at the school dance before he can catch a ride back to the future.
1: All right, Jonathan, I think what we're doing, de- what we're looking at here might be the most 80s of the 80s movies. It's definitely one of like the most signature 80s movies from that generation. But I think it's pretty safe to say that this is like it- it's it's at least in the top three. Like this is an incredibly 80s movie. It's a big, it's bright, it's a blockbuster. It's got that merger of like a good story and good plot that we talked about on a recent bonus podcast where you know, you're starting to blend the story elements from tour cinema with the plot elements of B movie cinema, and it's just fun. The pacing is like pitch perfect. The plot elements are easy to understand for how complicated they are. Well explained. The exposition isn't over the top. Like this is this is maybe one of the best like
0: and where it bu- is over the top like it's played for fun. Yeah, yeah.
1: And ironically enough, for a movie that is one of the most 80s movies ever, it's set mostly in the 50s, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that this movie is so obsessed with the 50s because the time difference between the 80s and the 50s is pretty similar from the time difference of like the 2010s and the 80s. And I don't know if you guys
0: know that's a great
1: point happening in the 2010s, but people in the 2010s, we were obsessed with stuff in the 80s, and mostly I mean, my parents Stranger were things, stuff. Stranger Things,
0: case in point, that's literally yeah.
1: all you need to say. Stranger yeah, Things Stranger has brought things. it back like, was, so was hard. Was set in the 80s, and it's kind of that cycle. It's, it's about people who grew up during that time period suddenly becoming the, the people making the thing, yeah. right? And to that point, to that Blockbuster point that uh, we've been talking about through some recent content, where Blockbusters kind of present this Um, this merging of a tour cinema story with plot elements from fantasy and like genre B movies. Um, The fifties were a like high point of genre movies before they merged into blockbusters, you know, schlocky sci-fi movies, crazy big animated monster movies. They were happening in that time. So the people in that time were fascinated with these sci-fi elements and they grew up on that. They went to film school like Zemeckis and well, actually, I, I can't say that Zemeckis went to film school. I don't know for sure, uh, but I'm pretty sure he's a film brat. And then he, and then they're now the people making the movies in the '80s. So it makes sense that there's a connection between the two. But boy, mm-hmm. oh boy, even when this is in the '50s, it still feels like an '80s movie through and through.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and again, like this being in that era of the uh, the American New Wave, the film brats, film school brats. That's also the era that. We start incorporating. Um, it started maybe in the '70s a little bit more, but incorporating pop music into film scores and stuff like that, rather than just yeah. using original music. And what a great time to incorporate pop music in the '80s! Like every, like I think, yeah. like the note that you put in there is like not all the songs like are most like appropriate most of them to make the no exact sense. like <laughs> scene, but. Dang it if they don't get the feeling across. Yeah.
1: Like the the opening scene with the skateboard.
0: Yeah. Uh I where Marty's going
1: to school, or he's late for class, or something. I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. Um, and it's playing That's the Power of Love. Yeah. It has that's right. nothing to do with anything that's happening on screen. But like the tonality of the music is there yeah. to tell you it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. This is like And also this, this is a movie about the birth of rock, so Kind of like it's it's weird. It's a weird it's a weird like like rock like grandfather paradoxed itself. Yeah, it was it was weird. Um, But yeah, it's 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 weird movie, but it does have that. It has it has the we should talk about the time travel specifically Mm because we've moved from. It's just a venture to an exotic land. The 50s are more than an exotic land to Marty McFly. They're very personal to him. Because we're in the, we've messed up the timeline paradox, right? And this is not
0: like going back in time to save Abraham Lincoln or whatever. This is going back in time to make sure that you are still alive when you go back. And that's the thing. It's like in Time After Time, it was mostly like he did have to go back, but it was mostly just a matter of going into the future. In this one, it's like we're going into the past, but we also have to get back. So there's that dual element of going it's in the backwards title damn forwards i know that's literally literally what the whole movie is based on yeah
1: and and so here's the thing too is that the be, be messed up your personal timeline plot i think the reason that's so important in the development of like time travel as a story element in film is that it's personal right yeah. the stakes of the of the plot mechanic or the set dressing have become personal and because of that they are they're just so much more important to the characters and so much more important to the audience. You care if he goes back to the future. You know, that whole last weird se- sequence in uh, Time After Time where they're talking about whether or not we will go back to the past together, whatever. Yeah. You know, I don't matter. really care about that. You know, yeah. the, the serial killer plots resolved. I've kind of checked out. It doesn't really matter. It matters. There is tension in this one that makes you care about mechanics of the time travel and then on top of that they deliver with presenting the time travel mechanics through one a very charming character in doc brown and two as weird as he is a very clear character in doc brown you know when he tells you exposition it's simple it's to the point it's exactly what you need to know and nothing more Mm -hmm. and when it's meaningless gibberish it's just meaningless gibberish and it, they don't try to over explain MacGuffin things like 1.22 gig- gigawatts or whatever. It doesn't matter that it that's not you, really It's a lot.
0: That's all. Yeah. You, yeah, you get the point. It's a lot. You,
1: yeah, exactly. And that's, that's like the kind of storytelling they're going for here. Like the details don't matter. The lyrics of the song don't matter. The vibe matters and they yeah. nail it. <laughs> now yeah. There are some, and, and you know how we talked about with time after time where they do the tour where we were bummed that they missed out on a tour of San Francisco they do do a tour of, um, the, of the 1950s version <laughs> and they do a very nice thing that it becomes an element in a lot of future time travel movies which is um, they the, uh, the montage is a popular thing in a lot of comedy movies but especially especially in time travel movies. They use a parallel montage, for lack of a better term, where we see the one, uh, for comparison's sake, in time time frame A, we see one sequence of events. And these, we see the sequence of events recreated in time frame oh, yeah. B in the same place or same setup, but just in a different time. And that would be the skateboarding scene, right? Where Marty mm-hmm. invents skateboarding,
0: <laughs> apparently, <laughs> by well, wrecking also- a kid's push cart. I mean this is this is kind of throughout, right? Because you also have the bookends of the film is the future, right? So you have yes. you get you get a day in the life of Marty mm-hmm. in the current, present, future, whatever. He goes back, changes some things, but makes sure that he's still alive and his parents still get together, the important stuff. Goes mm-hmm. back to the future, and we get another like the same sequence of him uh-huh. seeing his Time brother and C. sister and mom and dad and Biff. But you see the differences you you play, yeah. sp- I mean, no, you're not really playing spot the difference because it's all different. But you get the point. It's like it is that that montage and contrast of we see the two things in two different times, but we see the full arc in the ellipse, which is the, the story that we've been watching. Yeah. The beginning, the middle and the end, which. Right. In this case, I mean, this comes is off- classic. This is like the most like straightforward storytelling. This almost is full hero's journey kind of it a is, deal. It is, but it works. We even so have well. a flipping wizard. Yeah, yeah, we do have a wizard.
1: Yeah, it's literally, <laughs> it's literally a fantasy trip, but it's, it's all like connected to like that modern day life. It has mm-hmm. the the element of mundanity and commonality in it is one of the strongest suits. Because I think that's one of the reasons why it's so popular too, is because like everybody who was alive in the '80s had a town like that that was around in the '50s too, and their parents were alive in the '50s, and mm-hmm. everything connects together. Or At least and it, they
0: had an idyllic memory of it, like it's yeah, portrayed in the film. Yeah,
1: and, and so like, so it the the element of mundanity makes it relatable, and the element of fantasy makes it fun
0: um the one thing like it does have enough theme to it because you have themes of uh self-confidence you have themes of um parents not understanding their children or trying to instruct them in the best ways and yet still understanding this journey of like the parents were kids once too they made mistakes they're trying to keep their kids from making the same mistakes and like so you see that cycle you get to see the cycle that happens again it's like It happens in almost every family in one way or another. So there's that element of the mundane, but you get this universal sense to it as well. Um, And then you just put it with fun colors and characters and stuff like that, and that makes it, you know, that makes this mundane, universal thing entertaining, almost Uh universally entertaining, which is what makes a blockbuster.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will say the story elements, like talking about characters personal journeys and how they change over the course of the movie they're there they're as strong as they have to be right
0: to support the movie and absolutely no stronger than that yeah and there's some some holes like marty is supposed to be like an insecure insecure. artist but he's like the coolest kid
1: (laughs) he's He's very self-confident self-confident insecure protagonist of all time yeah right Because I think what they're going for is that like he's supposed to be like a recreation of his dad, right? Because you see his dad in the 50s and his dad is um, his his dad is insecure. And that's part of the reason why he's ended up like subordinate to Biff. And, you know, his life isn't as good as it could be. And he never really blossomed and became like the person he could have been in the future. And that's how Marty ended up the same way. But But I think Marty didn't
0: end up the same way.
1: I think what happened is that that was what Marty was supposed to be in the the script or the creation of the story. Mm -hmm. But Michael J. Fox is just so charismatic charismatic,
0: (laughs) that, like, it's impossible. Well, the other thing, though, because I was thinking about this, and if you want to overthink it, you shouldn't. But if you want to overthink it, you could say that, like, essentially, the story shows that um, George McFly is the kind of guy who could raise a son like Marty became. And in some sense, Marty got that in spite of George's, you know, present self at the beginning of the film. And so Marty kind of just helps him become, George become more of himself, become more of the guy that could produce a son like Marty who is self-confident. And then by the end of the film, I mean, Marty's literally the only person who doesn't change personality-wise by the end of the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a style of protagonist. I will throw that out there. Right. If everyone else the, changes,
0: which is the point. I, I, like something has to change.
1: I don't know if that was necessarily the intent here, but that is that is kind of where it ended up going. I think it's Oh, he got I, the
0: self-confidence to play guitar. I forgot. That's his arc. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that was weird. You know what? It's better than the third one, where his entire character development becomes don't call me chicken. That, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen all the Back to the Future movies, no. but that's where it goes. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know what? They're both great, is the thing. The whole trilogy <laughs> is amazing. It's just that, like, as a character, I don't think they ever entirely figured out what they were doing with Marty McFly, but it doesn't matter because he's charismatic enough and iconic yeah. enough. Like, the vest, you know, and Back to the Future 2 with the hoverboard, like, it almost just doesn't matter that his character isn't anything else. And it kind of... It almost becomes like an element of like what we talked about way back when we talked about with the James Bond movies where um, it became a thing where your, you know, your suburban dude teenager could project himself onto Marty McFly and be like, that's who I want to be. He's he's confident. He has a hoverboard and no one calls him chicken. (laughs) I don't need anything else to be a person. That's that's what there I want know. to be. Yeah, I actually I know too many adults who are teenagers in the 80s who that is their personality, but <laughs> that's oh. neither here nor there. Thanks, Robert. Uh, so you know what? Here's the th- thing I'll say: that's an improvement over the way time travel is treated in Time After Time, and I think this is something we're going to see: is that the as the public understanding of time travel and the story creators' understanding of time travel increases, the quality of the treatment of the mechanics gets better too. Oh yeah. And it's, it's that now the, the dual motivated pl- uh, plot points are all tense and keep you interested in everything happening. So we've got a very strict deadline when the lightning strikes to get Marty back.
0: Yeah. I did want to bring
1: like this up. X number of things ha- need to happen before that happens. It's a really good, like, you know what I Actually quest structure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And watching that climax, I realized and again, this goes back to the whole film brat thing is like it when you can when you know the elements of story structure, like you can see this stuff because that climax is one of the best examples of the Pixar principle that coincidences are terrible to get your characters out of trouble, but they're great to get them into trouble and during that climax there are probably four or five coincidences that just things go wrong like the car won't start the the plug doesn't reach the plug breaks again like everything goes wrong right after another and you have like this tiny and you actually don't get a clear countdown which is part of the genius of it you know it's coming you know you have like a minute or something but you don't know how long and so things just keep going wrong you're like are we at a time? What's it? Is it time? <laughs> and and then it just all lines up to hit at that exact moment, um, which makes it so satisfying. But it's also like, this is storytelling 101, guys.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, the way all, everything does at the same time, uh, it's good, man. It's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's, what, it's what anything that's... Like, the way the plots crisscross at the climax is just
0: what all... Plot heavy. Oh yeah, not yeah. Stories. Not to mention that the the friggin' dance Should. is happening at the same time. Yeah, the, and the, the coincidence of the... Biff coming and ruining that plan. Like yeah, there's probably ten minutes where just coincidences are building tension and uh, mm-hmm. and being great. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. It's it's very well set up with the little surprises and the little whoopsies that just kind of challenge the protagonist and the fact that they just persevere and keep going and find a solution it might be a weird solution but they find it and they make it work and it's entertaining and fun and effective and even at some point marty has to become more confident than he already is in order to play guitar which is i don't know a weird scene considering a lot of stuff that happens in the movie Like, basically, at that point, his parents are already together, but they give you another coincidence that his dad still lacks a little bit of confidence. And the thing that will give his dad more confidence is the power of rock and roll. Oh, Um, yeah.
0: Also, he has to push a kid.
1: Yeah, he has to push a kid, which, again, very 50s, weird, macho mentality popping up again. But, yeah, it gets... um, it gets it gets to where it's going. It, it's it's uh, but all the stumbling blocks along the way is what makes it interesting to get where it's going. Oh yeah. So it, it's it's much better. All of the plot contrivances don't feel like contrivances because they all stitch together so well. Yeah. Um, it is it is is high quality plot. Like seriously, like if you want to learn how to write good plot for movies, just watch blockbusters. Blockbusters will yeah. teach you how to make good plot, and Especially you'll know if it's good era. plot or not. Yeah. Yeah. There's Lots of blockbusters now that maybe don't always have the best plot. Um, I would argue that's maybe because there's just more blockbusters, so the spread is even wider. Maybe it's (laughs)
0: not that they don't have good plot. It's just that the plot originality is (laughs) hard to come by. (laughs) I think
1: that's an element of it, too. I also think that if we can sidetrack just a second into something bigger than the scope of uh, the time travel podcast, there is a lot that's put pressure on plots in recent years. Because everything has to be a franchise now so yeah. you always have stuff impinging on the plot that has to get into it so you end up having coincidences that bring in other characters from a franchise <laughs> that just feel like coincidences that bring in other characters from a franchise and don't necessarily just create problems for the um, for the for the protagonist, which oh, like you, you just were saying reminded
0: me of uh, an overall <laughs> overall note yeah. to get into.
1: Like, like, like we are, like you were saying with the Pixar principle, the only good coincidence in a movie is the one that creates a problem for your protagonist. Well, when it's just a a clearly a coincidence to bring in another character or a cameo, sometimes it's all, uh, it can just be frustrating or make the lose you like suspense of dense belief points with the audience, which is very much a thing. Like you have a running score with the audience of their su- suspension of disbelief, and you start off with like a default amount, and as you do things, you earn more points to do crazier stuff down the line. But if you mess around and do too many coincidences or contrivances or bad scenes, you lose scenes, your HP. You lose your HP, <laughs> and you can't make it to the boss
0: level. So you gotta, you gotta stick through. Yeah, yeah, and hold on to that because yeah, I just thought of something that we're gonna circle back to at the end of the podcast. That I'm holding on, Marty. All right. (laughs) That'll connect Uh, us.
1: (laughs) Let's go on to Groundhog Day from 1993. Jason, take it away. Jason, take it away. Jason, take it away. Jason, take it away.
2: Groundhog Day from 1993. Phil Connors is a Pittsburgh weatherman with the belief that he deserves to be much, much more. Sent to his chagrin to cover the prognosticating of the punctilious, Puxatani Phil, the Groundhog for Groundhog's Day, Phil Connors finds himself trapped in this hellish assignment beneath his dignity and in a small town beneath his notice as he wakes up every day to the same day, February 2nd, over and 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 over again.
0: Look, there's the signpost up ahead. You're entering... The Twilight Zone.
1: No, 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 no. This is so
0: Twilight Zone. Like, there's no it's other way to explain Twilight it. It's Twilight Zone.
1: I will say, I don't know if this is my favorite Bill Murray movie, just because I'm biased to uh, all of his work with by Wes Anderson. <laughs> Anderson. Yeah, but uh but I do think, like in terms of like his performance, this might this is probably the best Bill Murray movie. Like it just
0: in terms of like I really the character like arc and what the performance about Bob? He gives. But yeah, they're both like Bill Murray vehicles, basically.
1: This one is is truly amazing. the 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 performance he gives, and just mixed with the overall quality of the movie, it's it's dang near perfect. It's it's yeah. fantastic. Um, and before we get into anything too specific about like time travel and stuff, there's just one shot I want to call out in this movie that is unbelievably incredible. Which is the helicopter shot into the van on the highway. <laughs> oh yeah. Which just must have required so much coordination to pull off. Like a helicopter flying over a city and then in a continual shot swoops down to get close enough to a van to have an establishing van shot. Oh like, yeah, that was
0: wild. And this is was pre like like uh, motion capture. Pre drones, pre motion yeah. capture. Like it's not CGI,
1: that's all real. All real van. But yeah. This is this is like a movie with a really actually simple concept that is it's so basically and yeah, I feel like simple. this is important because they're SNL people it's basically like one sketch one sketch comedy one comedy sketch performed over and over and over and over and over and it becomes like this weirdly well,
0: kind of
1: kind of yeah but the the repetition of it is like honestly a kind of a simple concept, and we don't get into a lot of details of what's going on. We just know it's happening.
0: That's the Rod Sterling effect. So that's that's the yeah. Rod Sterling effect, and yeah. that's the uh, so yeah. Just to, to cover the time travel, this is completely inexplicable. There's no mechanics except for what I call the Rod Sterling effect or the Twilight Zone effect, which is a character. You know, and this is not always the case in Twilight Zone, but sometimes it's the fact that there's a character with a moral flaw. The Twilight Zone will construct an incomprehensible puzzle around them and they have to f- complete the puzzle by becoming a better person and then they can get out of it uh, or sometimes they get destroyed by it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's basically what this is. It's like the the Twilight Zone decided that Bill Murray wasn't a good person and so it's going to do this thing to him until he gets his act together um, and that's that's the basics of the, the the time travel mechanics in this movie.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, you know what? It works. It works. And I like I like the idea of this because almost by accident, because I don't think this is the original intent. I don't think you arrive at this super fast. I think it's just the idea of like, it, it, just like what if you had to live the same day over and over and over again? But also kind of that that's
0: just sort of what we're all doing every day. Like, the drunks at the bar with... That's, like, the most philosophy that gets into this movie is is Bill Murray sitting at the bar with the drunks, and he said, What would you do if every day you were stuck in one place, forced to do the same thing over and over and over again? And the drunks like, That about sums it up for me. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like... This is a lot of like, people's, yeah. like, normal experience. Like, yeah, this just kind of is life,
1: right? So it, through that, like, it... I think that's what makes this movie really special is that I don't know if it's set out to do this, but it becomes this like allegory for both like the drudgery, but also the joy of everyday life and like what can be
0: achieved through that. Like it is adjacent to A Christmas Carol in that way.
1: Yeah. Like the turn, the turn in the movie where Bill Murray realizes that he could just slowly work on improving himself every day because why not? is so, like, weirdly inspiring. Like, I just, oh, man, I always feel so uplifted after finishing this movie. It, not even necessarily, like, the romance thing, even though that seems to be the thing that is, like, his final, the, the final plot, even though I think it's more of, like, the romance is a test yeah. of how good of a person he is, and once it becomes a good enough yeah, person like to get the girl, he he can escape the, the soup, the, the loop, not yeah. the soup.
0: I do want to um, talk about that final loop, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. But
1: I I, just – it that that it's weirdly inspiring. Every time I watch this movie, I come away from it like, yeah, I can improve myself every day. <laughs> I might not be stuck on Groundhog Day every day, but I can get up and get better
0: at something every day. But you know what? Uh, you have a Groundhog Day at least once a year, Alex. So that's something. This I, is true. I improve myself true. every Groundhog Day. <laughs> I improve
1: myself only on Groundhog Day once a year. That's the lesson of this movie. Oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, but only I think – Only
1: improve yourself on
0: The Groundhog interesting day. thing is that it's really – it, it kind of has this philosophical tradition to it. So it's kind of a modern Ring of Gyges. Are you familiar with the Ring of Gyges story? No, but I certainly hope you are so you can tell me. <laughs> okay, so the I'm, I'm not an expert, but the premise is this, this is um, part of Plato's Republic, right? So it's a thought experiment where um, uh, some king of uh, uh, Gyges of Lydia, okay? So he has this ring that can turn him invisible, and the, so, sound familiar? But the thought experiment Mm -hmm. is, if you had a ring that could turn you invisible, if anyone had this ring, would you still be a just person if there were basically no consequences to doing whatever you wanted? So it's this, you know, if, you know, doing the right thing when no one's looking, basically, like, to to boil it down to, yeah. That And so this is basically what that is because he realizes quickly and that's another thing that the drunks do is like when he's he's like, they're like, we would have no consequences, no hangovers. And so he quickly goes through the ring of Gaiji's parable by, I think, like right after that, he goes through like picking up a, a lady, like using this power to learn everything about her and uh, and and pick her up. He steals money like he learns how to do all the bad things first. That's like the first yeah. thing that he does, and then he realizes oh, yeah. this isn't sustainable. This is not the this is not what I actually want. Because what he wants is to be the kind of respectable man that, um, uh, what's her name, Rita, wants him to be, or would yeah. would admire him for being. And so then that becomes the rest of the goal. That's probably about halfway through that he realizes that and has to start living the days differently. But it is interesting that they go down. Pretty much all the like lust, greed, like all these different things that he has to go through before he gets to the oh yeah maybe those aren't the right answer <laughs> maybe maybe I should be a good person
1: yeah no it is interesting it kind of harkens back to the duality of man that uh, was touched upon in um, uh, time after time right where there's these two sides to reality yeah. there's these two sides to man and Bill Murray kind of explores both sides of himself really he has to see of- his
0: shadow if you will. Yeah, kind of like has to confront his dark
1: side. Bottling himself up in this way, bottling up this character, you just get so much depth into one person, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's how we we to to get kind of fundamental with it. The way that you should learn about characters in a uh, in a movie is by seeing how they act in certain scenarios, right? And essentially, the way this movie is set up.
0: They and that's act, one of the things uh, that film is uniquely qualified to deliver. Books yeah. are really good at telling you what, what characters think. Movies are really good at showing you what characters do.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you see that through various scenarios. But the way this plot is set up, you see Bill Murray in so many scenarios. And not just that. You see him and, – and one of the other primary ways we see character growth is by seeing how they act. And this is very common – you'll see them act in one scenario at the start of a movie and they act one way. And then you see them act in a very similar scenario at the end of the movie and they act a very different way.
0: Well, (laughs) we see that like,
1: that's the whole movie. (laughs) That's all of groundhog day. Right.
0: Is like seeing him learn how to act different in different scenarios. Um, Here's the thing that's amazing about this movie with that in mind is that this movie doesn't get stale. Like I was thinking about this, this watch through is like, this would be so easy to just drop off halfway through. Like, okay. We get it, but there's so much technical expertise in the way that the film is structured from a story perspective and also edited um, and shot is that there are scenes almost almost without exception. We can set up a scene and see the beginning of it early, like early on, like say the first time he goes to the diner. And then, because that doesn't happen the first time around, but the second or third time around, he cuts out of work, goes to the diner, has a conversation with uh, uh, with Rita at the diner. And then throughout the rest of the film, we can just show up at the diner. And we don't have to establish how he got there or why oh, he's yeah. there. Um, same thing with Ned. Like, we can have Ned show up pretty much at any point. We don't have to reintroduce him. Um, there's just all these different elements. And then, of course, as he goes through the, um, well, the initial sequence of, like, seducing Rita um, – we have like we can set up all their different dates, and then we can just replay the date, but just from a later point and see the difference. And uh, so there's a lot of that that keeps the film like moving because it's also kind of an expertly paced film, uh, and that's oh, part yeah. of what keeps it from getting stale and boring. Is that you can set something up, come back to it, and then and, and like we said with the with Back to the Future, this entire movie is a spot the difference. You know, every scene it's. We've seen this scene before, but something's different and something's different and something's changing and improving every time.
1: Yeah. Speaking of its pacing, like it does have a traditional three act structure, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't, there's no plot to create that structure, right? Because we don't know how close we're getting. We don't know how, we don't have a plot element to show how close Phil is to escaping the loop, right? Right. All and it's we still, have it's still is a story element. You have his arbitrary. mood. Yeah. yeah, we have his we we have his psychological state, right? And mm-hmm. there there's stuff about the the plot adventure about when the the the, the you know the hero's journey where the uh, the hero should be feeling different ways during the journey. This is when they should be triumphant. This is when they should feel failure. And you kind of see that at different points in the movie. Basically, at the minute marks where it should be happening, should you have had a more traditional plot? Um, which is really impressive that they managed to keep that structure around because that kind of acts as a guide because most audiences, most people are just so familiar with that structure now because movies have been around for so long that like we use it as a guide to kind of know, you kind of can still feel how deep you are into the movie just based on how like down and out or triumphant or resolved or changed Phil is. Yeah. Um, and you, there's always that there there the even though there is no clear guide, there is that tension. Every time the alarm clock goes off, is it gonna play the same song? <laughs> Every yeah. time it goes off. And that happens a lot throughout the movie where you don't know. You don't that know. That is the that most alarm genius thing about the last up. scene, too. Uh-huh.
0: And it finally
1: does. It finally does. And there's your tension relief. Where well like, the thing oh is, my is it doesn't.
0: Because the la- in the last loop, it plays the same song. But then the commentary comes on. It's like, not this song again. And the commentary is yeah. different. So it, they like That's do a one nice less fake pull. out. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Solid structure, solid pacing. Great, great, great adventure to go on through essentially like your own worldview. Mm-hmm. Like what if a movie was just somebody reconstructing their worldview through a series of comedy sketches? Boom, gotcha. And also just We're talking about again, to- like.
0: Forced to analyze every single move that they made on one particular day and have a yeah. chance to do it any other way for one day. Like we day. all do
1: late at night when we think about that thing from 12 years ago that we should have done differently. But exactly. But now you actually get the chance to. And also talk about like a perfect setup in terms of like the people to make this movie. It's a series of comedy sketches. Almost yeah. anthological in a way because like the the time relativeness between them doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a bunch of SNL people like it's the SNL crew yeah. who who come in to do it. So it's like, it, it's could not be a more perfect team to work on this particular thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, excellent, excellent setup. Let's talk about the last loop. Um, because the, I the was last kind of, loop. kind of unsatisfied with it. This watch through, um, yeah, it wasn't loopy enough for you. Yeah, it just didn't, it didn't start over, and that just wasn't, no. Um, but I just feel like the last day, he, like, learns everything that has to go right in the town, and he's just kind of, like, going down this checklist. Yeah, he's playing and, a roguelike. Yeah, and but then it's like it's like, okay, if that's the last loop, then from Rita's perspective, and everyone else in the world, he was a jerk, and then... In the course of like two hours, he's like a saint. Um, And like my favorite loop is the one that ends with them throwing cards into a hat until midnight. Um, And she falls asleep and she thinks that he has to be there till midnight. And then, you know, she falls asleep and he doesn't take advantage of her or try to seduce her or whatever. Like I feel like that's the most realistic loop of him like taking a day. You know, he's not doing anything crazy. He's not doing everything right. But he ends it, like, very respectfully of her. And he's, you know, he's content with the way things are. Um, I think that's an important marker for him. I do think there is. So there,
1: there there is this weird perception thing from the audience's point of view. And it makes sense when you consider that the same thing is happening from Phil's point of view. Where I think we forget by the end of the movie that, like... Phil has literally met this woman 2 hours ago. I know, <laughs> so, that's the other thing
0: is this is the like, first
1: day he met her, which is which is wild that they could fall in love that fast, but uh, like also to your point earlier where you're talking about like everyone thought this guy was a jerk. Well, it doesn't sound like anyone actually knew this guy very well. So it sounds like especially if you, if this uh, if this woman just met him two hours ago, like the first impression was of jerk, but suddenly he f- she finds out that he's Larry that knew him, her dream guy. Yeah, like I think I think that's how he can get away with the change. And most of the people in the town have never met him before. Right. Um, the only other person who would wouldn't it make sense is the camera guy, who apparently yeah, has Larry. known him for a while. But also, no disrespect to Larry, kind of a dope.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just, no one's gonna care what he said. <laughs>
1: I think he's just happy that like Phil's being nice to him.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just that was that was my nitpick. Is like the last oh, day sure. is a little sure. bit too perfect. Um, and you know
1: what? That's what you spend those cards that you've racked up over the course those uh, those suspension of disbelief <laughs> points that you've earned with the audience. <laughs> that's true. That's what yeah. you spend it on because on the rest the of the
0: movie is is pretty spot on. Yeah,
1: because because at that point the audience just wants exactly what ha- happens on screen to happen. You have to make the audience want the ending and also be a little surprised by the ending. And they pull that off. Yeah, So that's true. That's 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 the art of story making.
0: Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, that is the Twilight Zone for you. And if you want like more films that use the the supernatural element you have, like we already mentioned, A Christmas Carol is kind of the same sort of deal, um, just with ghosts manifesting the whole thing. Um, you have 2001, a space odyssey to take it to an extreme, um, which is kind of time travel through some weird supernatural power. Um, and then time loops, there are a lot of them, like live, die, repeat, I think, isn't there like 27 Christmases or something like that? There's a, there's a fair number of time loop movies as well. Um,
1: there's so many, but edge of tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's yeah. endless.
0: It's yeah. become a very, very, very popular genre. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to see why. It's a good, like, framework to put your story into. Um, yeah, it's a great and it's kind exploration of, of character. It's kind of, and this was a point I was going to make at the end, is that time travel doesn't really necessitate any particular theme, but I think time loops do. I think time loops, like we said, um, they kind of imply this introspection because if you're doing something again, it's like, it's like all writing is editing, basically. It's, you yeah. know, you're doing something again and what you do differently makes something different and presumably better. And so time loops are kind of this self, uh, uh, oh gosh, what am I saying? So it's like a self-improvement um, yeah. structure inherently. So I think that's Hard, hard that's training montage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, your Jackie
1: Chan montage out in the, the Hong Kong mountains.
0: Precisely. All right, let's move on to our last movie. Or our first movie. Who knows? Our first movie. The first movie we've ever watched, actually.
1: <laughs> Tenet from 2020, Jason. Or, sorry. Away it take Jason.
2: Tenet from 2020, an unnamed special-ops soldier fails a mission after witnessing a bullet fly at him in reverse. After consuming a cyanide capsule under enemy interrogation, he is rescued and thrust into a world and time-spanning conspiracy to stop a world war. A mysterious faction in the future has discovered how to reverse the entropy of objects and people so that they could travel backwards in time relative to everything else around them, and is sending these back to a full shadowy and threatening plot.
1: All right, Jonathan. So this one already just gave me like big echoes of Merlin, like this concept's kind of already out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Palindromes are a thing, right? And we'll we'll talk about the uh, Sator Square, but uh, like Merlin in Arthurian legend is this character who actually experiences time backwards, right? So he—that's funny. For some I'm, reason,
0: I didn't actually realize that about Merlin.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a character who, uh, who, from his perspective, already knows what happens in the future. That's part of what makes him such a wizard, right? Uh-huh. Is that he already knows what happens. He already knows he's what Arthur's going to do. So he's been there and he has done that. And he is telling you what's happening at the current point in time, which is really weird to think about, but very interesting from a fable perspective. But like, what if that was a whole movie? Yeah, right. And then you have the Seder Square, which is a very famous Roman artifact uh, that is a Latin palindrome square, which is the same square where every word is the same forwards and backwards, and it's like five words, and one of them is tenet, one of them sater. Um, not just
0: this; each word is a is this. Well, yeah, not each word is a palindrome, but when you read the entire square, yeah, the Top to bottom, bottom to top, right to left, left to yeah. right. It's all the same.
1: Rhodos, opera, tenet, arepo, sater, and yeah. then backwards, it's rhodos. Opera, Tenet, Arepo, Seder. And all of those are incorporated into the movie. Seder.
0: Leave it to Chris oh. Nolan to make those not sound like super out of place. The yeah. guy who worked Ariadne into a character name. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's
1: in there. It's in there for sure. And the, the palindrome is the whole idea, right? Is that the entire.
0: Um, I wanted this to be a movie that you can play backwards. I don't think you can play it backwards.
1: I don't think you can play it backwards. <laughs> there are parts of it that play backwards. There are parts of um, it that feel backwards, but they're not There are parts of it that feel backwards. backwards. There are parts of this that feel really wonky. I feel like this film is a really good experiment. I think my my impression of it is that it doesn't entirely work. I'm glad it was made, yeah. but like I don't think it entirely lands.
0: Yeah, so here's uh, my thing is... The structure of the film is very, very similar to Inception. Um, and I love Inception. It's, you've got a mystery person, you have a mystery situation, you reveal parts of the information of the, um, of the mechanics, be it the dream or the time travel stuff, and then you're building a team to complete an operation. It climaxes in a big, like, basically military operation, um, but I think the problem with Tenet is that there was so much—I won't say world building, but like, uh, I, you know, like building up the the concept little, of the time, the entropy, the, all that kind of stuff. And there's then, a lot of exposition. Yeah, there's a lot of the which Christopher Nolan always has a lot of exposition, but this one didn't have the same, em, the same human emotional stakes that most of his other films do, for better or worse. Like. A lot of people didn't yeah. like the way that it was pulled off in Interstellar, but it was there. It's the love transcends time. Inception is done really well, I think, with the the not being able to let go of his wife who's passed and the guilt and yeah. trying to get past that was guilt pretty strong. Yeah. Memento. This feels like a, a marriage of Inception and Memento. Memento is, again, he can't get past the murder of his wife, and so he constructs a, a world for himself in which he always has someone to hunt to... Um, clear his conscience Um, but this one had so many good elements except for that heart and it was there a little bit but it just wasn't anything that was relatable enough you have like um, uh, it wasn't very personal yeah you have Sator's like childhood his struggling marriage but like the whole blackmail thing with the marriage was like okay like Mm. I kind of get it the thing with the kid honestly we didn't really have that much connection to the fact that she's never going to see her kid again. And then she yeah. says stuff like the whole world will be destroyed. She says, that includes my kid. I'm like, oh, OK. Really? <laughs> like, really cool. They're just, they, there was so much good. It just didn't have a heart element to it. Uh, yeah, which made me yeah. really and sad because everything else was awesome. I mean, they had.
1: I mean, and it's. I think it's telling that you in trying to explain the heart element. Or what what traces of it might exist? You just complete. You jump to a bunch of like not main characters, and just right. The other over thing the is protagonist
0: character. like lives in this void, um, <laughs> which is kind yeah. of the point. But and and here's the other thing too is that there there is a the theme that could have been really cool is this theme of self sacrifice, which is how the movie starts with protagonist. Mm-hmm. Eating the cyanide pill, which is the whole thing, is he's gonna sacrifice his life to not to not um, rat out his country or his people or whatever. You don't even really know if he's yeah, military so or CIA vague. or whatever it is. Yeah. But the point is he's he's willing to give himself for the higher cause. And then you get the same thing with Robert Patton's character, to not get too spoilery, because this is a fairly new movie. Um but it's not built in enough. There's not enough of a, these two characters have so much connection that they're willing to give their lives for each other. Um, yeah. And that the the sacrifice at the end is supposed to be subtle, but it's like too subtle to the point where it doesn't even really matter. It's like, well, basically, the-, the way that it ends is, this is going to be really important and it's going to be yeah, really sad for you that's what I was going to say. I was like,
1: this is going to be. They literally told you that all of the events that would make you care about what is about to happen haven't happened on screen yet, and will yeah. happen in the future. There, he freaking backdoor Hulu series <laughs> generated is all of the motivation for us to care. Which is not Christopher Nolan is so
0: weird. Like he's not yeah. going to make a tenant, two. That's not his M O. Yeah, he'll be onto
1: something else. And and the thing is too, like outside of that, I do find this to be a fascinating thought experiment. Um, it, it just is kind of, I, th- I think the sad part is that without that heart element, it makes it a little forgettable.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm just so
0: sad because he's like, Christopher Nolan is doing his thing. He has big ideas. He has interesting characters, interesting elements, but he usually has enough of that heart to pull you through and, and make you care. And this one yeah. was just not there. Uh, makes me yeah. so sad.
1: All right. So here's the question. The other big thing, the plot is interesting. And I think the plot mechanics are really interesting in the way like the I think the thing that works the best is just like the idea that I think we have to get into spoilers. Is that OK?
0: Yeah, but we're going to put down like huge spoiler warning. It's hard to talk about Christopher Nolan movies at all without yeah, spe- doing that.
1: Specifically this one because of the order of events. Yeah, the so since inter-
0: this movie's pretty new, pause the Podcast. If you want to watch it, come back to this later. It'll be time-stamped. Yeah. But we're getting into all the stuff now. Yeah. The most
1: interesting thing about this movie is watching a character discover a mystery that he set up for himself, which is yeah. essentially Memento. Um, but right. <laughs> it's that's the most interesting thing. The other two things that that we already mentioned uh, that I think could be really important to this movie in particular are the characters, which seems like maybe a miss on that, probably a miss on that. The other thing. Yeah is uh, the action scenes because they promise to be very unique and very different because some elements are reversed and some yeah. elements aren't. And I think in the final wash, it's a very te- impressive technical achievement. Mm-hmm. The question is, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan had this theory about this would be a cool way to pull off a uh, an action scene. He tried it. Does it work? And I think some of them do. Yeah. And I think some of them are like okay that's an interesting idea but I don't think it makes this better
0: well yeah some of them is you're still catching up with the concepts a little bit in your head and so like on the first watch through you're not completely sure if you're understanding the whole thing I think yeah um so like the like um, like with the car going backwards, I'm like, is the car inverted or because the car had the ice on the windshield? But I thought only he was inverted. It's just some yeah, of Yeah, that that's, that's, that's the confusing. other
1: question. Yeah, yeah, like the like the way like inverted and uninverted people and objects interact with each other
0: still doesn't entirely make. And sense. And it's not it's not always clear what's what, which is part no. of the point. But and it, there's but some indications like the people have to be wearing the little gas mask things. Yes, but I don't know I if think, they followed through with that all the way.
1: I think that's I think that's the main problem when it comes to action scenes, and we've talked about this a lot when it comes to stuff like um, the gunfu of um, oh hard boiled.
0: Oh yeah, what, what, of, um, uh, what John Woo?
1: John Woo, or uh, the way Jackie Chan shoots his fight scenes, where you can see everything. Even the um, fights
0: in Inception, like the like the zero G fights, are very awesome clear yeah that's that's, clear. that's the important thing about action scenes
1: because there's so much going on and it could be so confusing is clarity yeah. like understanding direction motivation who's on what side what action is happening the the understanding of time at the moment like are we in slow-mo <laughs> are we in mo? is all important Are we forwards and or the, backwards are we forwards or backwards and that's the problem i think with some of these action scenes and sometimes, like honestly, the smaller scale ones where there's less to track make more sense. And like like the first fight that he has, I think, with himself, with himself, um, in the uh, with the, someone who's reversed with the masked version of himself in yep. the uh, the lock, locker storage place is actually really good. Both times we experience it because it's small yeah. scale. The
0: main thing with that one is that it's hard. It's hard to do that scene because one character is reversed and the other one isn't. And exactly. <laughs> the, the thing that I felt in that scene is that like, just in terms of basics for what an action scene has to be is it didn't really feel like any of the punches land because that's, one of them the is throwing thing. punches backwards and it doesn't feel like a fight scene. It feels like they missed every one of their punches for some reason.
1: Yeah, like the the umph is backwards, and so the umph doesn't come at the right point. So point like so like that that animal instinctual part of our brain right. just doesn't register the hits. So like I and I don't I think like by the way I think they did the best job they could with these. Oh
0: yeah, I no, think, they did great. It's just,
1: I think I think the the I the concept.
0: On paper versus film, basically.
1: I don't think it comes out very well on film, is the thing. I think it's just a little too confusing. I I would say for sure, like, you're giving the audience too many things to keep track of when it comes to, like, the car scene. Like, it's really cool, but, like, genuinely, like, just... I was so lost the first time I watched it. I watched this movie a second time. By the way, this movie does make much more sense the second time.
0: Yeah, Uh, I did watch it. a little So, for the first... For the first forty five minutes or so, I was rewinding almost every scene. <laughs> and I think I think five minutes in, I started over with the captions because that first scene at the opera, I was like, I need to know what they're saying, because I have no clue what's going on. Oh my um, gosh.
1: The mixes these days.
0: Yeah, but
1: And you know what? It's not the mix's fault, it's the weird soundbar. Phenomena, in yeah. flat-screen TV's fault, but like still it sucks
0: But then like the scene with Michael Caine doing exposition And I'm like what wait, okay, there's a there's a painting, but it's a fake and the lady She like her husband bought it, but she had to verify it, but it was fake She knew it was fake she had an affair with the guy who faked it I'm like trying to figure all this stuff so, out. This scene is like two minutes long. Yeah, so so here's the thing
1: here's the thing too like I think that for this movie specifically, like the, the, the concept of reversing the time, the entropy for some people and some objects was already so complicated that you can drop all that other plot stuff.
0: Right. You don't you need... need something like, even if it's the most schlocky, like tug on the heartstrings, like human interest, you just need like a really basic human interest to get yeah, us through need... the rest of it. A simple, basic human
1: interest to motivate this—you don't need six levels of international intrigue. Even though I know that's what they were going for, you can maybe put that in the backdrop, and then just—and they you know, almost had it because they have it.
0: echoes of that with the and thing at the end. And I'm like, I want to know more about that, but you saved it for the last two minutes.
1: You're gonna have to watch for—you're
0: <laughs> uh, have to watch the Hulu series, man. You can't. Maybe the next it, movie will be like like Tenant backwards, like they'll just call it Tenet. <laughs> re-release
1: the tenant cut of tenant it's just tenant but backwards um oh yeah i think there's just too many there's too too much being juggled here and it's not It it's not that they didn't do like as good of a job with it as they could i think it's just pushing the limit of like what people can really comprehend when it comes to so many elements in a short period of time and like I don't want to say that like audiences are dumb because they're not. And I don't want to say that like, I'm really smart when it comes to movies because I don't think that that's really a thing. Yeah. But I will say I'm very experienced
0: when it comes to movies. Yeah. We watch a lot of movies. We've been doing this podcast for a while. And it's not the type a of while. movie because I love Christopher Nolan yeah, films. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I will usually defend him like as far as I can. But this, like, I defend Interstellar probably more than a lot of people do. But this movie is like – there's just those, some of those elements that I love about Christopher Nolan weren't there. Yeah. There's some stuff missing. And then the other stuff that is there is just like a little,
1: like just too complicated. Like if I, I honestly, like this is my barometer. If both me and you are coming away <laughs> confused from the same movie, like it, the movie's confusing. Yeah.
0: Like, <laughs> like, like, so we, here's, we, here's a question because oof. there's, there was a lot of talk after inception that and i think that's probably pretty valid like inception can be seen as a somewhat thinly veiled like allegory for storytelling or filmmaking in particular you have, very much so yeah. you have like cobb as the director you have arthur as the writer you have ariadne as like um you know you, each character kind of plays a role in the way that you build a story specifically like filmmaking and stuff like that. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's still a great story on its own, but it also has this other element to it. And I wonder if there's if Nolan was going for something like that with Tenet. I mean, the fact that he called the main guy protagonist and didn't give him a name almost suggests that. But there's not a whole lot of else for me to grab on to actually like make some sort of claim like that, like unless it's just, we're all the protagonists of our own story, like something like that. But that's no, there's not a lot else in the movie that supports that.
1: It's just, I think it's just like, like the, I thought there was going to be something more significant there, but it just comes off to me as like just another layer of mystery and obfuscation and cloak and dagger just to have him not have a name. But there didn't seem to be anything coming off. Now, there is like a certain meta element to it when it comes to storytelling, right? Because uh, spe- specifically film, because film is all a form of time travel, not to yeah. slip into overall notes a little bit. We're but all film is there. a form of all film is a form of time travel. And I don't just mean like flashbacks, but like every cut moves you forward or backwards in time and changes the rate at which time flows. Yeah. A cut can cover no time, or it can cover. It can it can actually take you back in time if you're seeing the same thing from different angles. It can take you a couple minutes forward in time. It can take you years ahead of time. Um, it can do all sorts of things. You can cut stuff to slow down time. You can cut stuff in a way to speed up time. And I think that, if anything, is maybe the thing that's most interesting about the way the uh, time travel is played with here. Because it's altering the perception of the protagonist's experience of his
0: own story, um, as I it think, unravels. I do find it also interesting that, like I said earlier, the protagonist exists in in sort of a void. Like at yes. the end of the movie, we get the sense that he has a future, a really interesting future, but he yeah. ultimately that isn't has just inside no. A windmill. He has no past. He has yes. he has no past. He exists in and this I I kind of come back to Inception. A lot because the like one of the big concepts in Inception is in a dream, you don't know how you got where you are, you just know what's happening and where you're going. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's something that kind of underlies one. I mean, that's that's a way that films are structured, right? You start a scene, you don't know, you know, like you can just be thrown into a scene and figure you're inferring details from there. Um, and I feel like Christopher Nolan makes movies like that. And that's kind of how this movie is, is you just get thrown into it. You get thrown into a main character, a protagonist, and you're inferring the rest. But usually you can infer a past, but protagonist exists in his own bubble and things happen around him. And I don't know what to make of that, but I've only seen this movie once so far. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, it feels I definitely the second time I watched it, it made more sense but it also, I will say, it also felt like I wasn't getting more depth out of it, yeah. if anything. It still, it felt like just like going over the results of an experiment like a second time. And I understood <laughs> right. reading like the research paper. And it's it's kind not like of I want to
0: read more into it. It's just that I expect more from Christopher Nolan. More you know? depth, yeah. And that's what, it I mean, feels- we have a list here of kind of like the ways that Christopher Nolan works with time. Because time is something that's always an element in his films, whether they are technical time travel stories or not. And I think we covered right. this on his episode and I think on another episode that we It's definitely about been covered many times. But yeah, like he even in Dunkirk, which is a pretty straightforward war movie, but he uses yeah. he uses maybe that's when we talked about it actually. Each of the stories I happens a on a different on time Dunkirk. scale. Yeah. And the way that they cut the different stories together across yeah, time. one's happening
1: and, within minutes, one within hours, yeah. one within days.
0: But they're all stretched to fill the same two-hour block. You have Interstellar, which uses kind of the wormhole, um, or, well, it uses both a wormhole and it uses relativity um, when they go down to the planet and like every minute is hours or years or something. And then they come back and the most emotional scene from that film is when he's watching tapes and tapes of his children growing up that he experienced over the course of half an hour. Um, And then you have Memento, which is famous for the way that it's cut. It's a, it's a linear story, but it's cut in in verse because you have, Oh yeah, we talked about Memento too. (laughs) So much Nolan. Um, Oh Yeah you have, you have this character who only experiences like 30 minutes of his life at a time before he forgets it. And so we get those chunks told in reverse so that the audience only has the same amount of information that he does. And so like, this is something that he's always playing with. And so it's interesting that the time that he takes it head on and attacks it, he, he lost like the rest of the stuff that we loved about his movies. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, you know, that's just that just is Nolan. Like, I'm glad that he exists with the platform he does and he can play with cinema and experiment it with it in a big way and push mm-hmm. it that, you know, like big blockbusters don't really. Yeah, uh, we,
0: we need him to be making movies that no one else is making.
1: Yeah. So I'm not I'm not upset that he took this big swing. I just think this one is a bit of a miss. But that's not to say it's a bad movie. It's it's a well it's a well-made movie that is more confusing than it needed to be and yeah. maybe found some concepts that could be played with more and also found some concepts uh, that probably don't work (laughs) and that's okay. Uh, That's why you, you experiment with film and incorporate it into something else in the future. Um, And you know what? I would not be surprised if somewhere down the line, somebody finds a way to make some of this stuff in this movie work. And I'm sure this is going to be the story. Yeah. This'll be, this'll be one of their inspirations. So it's important that big movies like this exist, even when they're maybe not, the best, yeah. but that's that's okay. That's that's just the world of art and cinema and how it influences itself. Yeah,
0: there's definitely going to be a really good inversion movie at some point.
1: Um, all right, all right, Jonathan. Anything else to mention about uh, Tenet before we slide into overall notes?
0: Yeah, just to kind of bring up like the the mechanism, the time travel mechanism in this film is it's technically kind of a, a man made mechanized form of time travel, but it's also The idea that in the future we come up with time travel and are able to to basically work backwards, not so much working forwards in time travel. And so there's other movies that kind of deal with this like Looper things come backwards from the future Uh, Terminator. Same kind of thing. Um, Frequency is a little bit different because that's a little bit of a Twilight Zone element, but it's it's like using a radio to talk. From the future to the past, um, and so that's. But it's kind of this this idea of a one way time travel, kind of an element, because there's not really traveling into the future, just moving backwards.
1: Sorry, so I was just thinking about how the bullets of reverse guns make no sense.
0: Yeah, they made a big deal about wow, it would be uh, it would be so bad to get shot with an inverted bullet, and I like, was kind that, of waiting. For that, bullets already
1: have to be in the wall for you to shoot it with an inverse gun. So, that's
0: so yeah. The thing that I was waiting for is like in that last scene, the red versus blue or the the red and blue team scene or whatever, yeah. like someone's gonna go and hide against a wall and they're not gonna notice that there's already a bullet hole in that wall and then the bullet's gonna come out of that wall and go through their body, right? Like, that's how that would have to work, right? Like, it just feels don't like, it feels stand like the- by a wall with a bullet hole already in it. <laughs> It feels like a reverse Chekhov's gun that never right. went off. Right. It's Chekhov's. Or maybe inversion. has yet to go off. Bum bum bum. Yeah. No. There was a. There was a lot of that. Um, yeah. Because the thing with. So also, I just want to point out that that scene where, uh, Russian Kenneth Branagh is doing is like going back and forth between the red side and the blue side, and playing like first of all, that takes like some sort of mental chess playing to be able to play a scene forwards and backwards at the same time and know what you're doing and what you need to be doing on the other side. Yeah.
1: There's some people who are way too accustomed to this stuff. That was
0: kind of impressive, but, um, that scene happens exactly at the halfway point. Like that's, that's the full fulcral point of the whole movie, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, yeah, there's the, the point where she gets shot with the inverted bullet which was important, but they didn't really explain why it was bad that she got shot with an inverted bullet. I thought it would just be bad because you're getting hit with the blunt end of the bullet, and so that would be more painful. Yeah, right. But it was something where it it affected her entropy, and then... Yeah, I
1: didn't understand that, because why would that affect her entropy if interacting with
0: other objects doesn't interact?
1: But maybe it it does, because the
0: car was inverted when he got in it. (sighs) Gosh. Yeah, there's still elements of it that I'm like... I'm sure Christopher Nolan thought through it a lot, but I don't get it.
1: A lot of it feels like subjective too where it's like, okay, this is a theory you could have about what happens here. Like there's no hard logic there, which is weird because in a world where there isn't really hard logic to explain a lot of this, you think they would the idea would be to not spend as much time on exposition because it doesn't yeah. matter. But, like, they, they spend so much time on it, but it, there isn't really a hard answer. And That's it's one so difference. Mushy.
0: That's also one difference with Inception. Because Inception doesn't bother to explain the, the sleeping yeah, mechanism. You have the exactly. briefcase. Everyone puts the IV in and you go to sleep. All right. If you're all connected to the IV and you go to sleep, you're in the same dream. Enough. That's yeah. it. That's all you need. That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they suddenly decided they needed to explain the briefcase. Yeah, have to explain and, the
0: radiation and the future and the blah, blah blah. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just like people go backwards. That, that's really all we needed. <laughs> and then like maybe like some device MacGuffins to make it happen. And I think this movie would come off better. But yeah, yeah. It's 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 odd. I also don't entirely understand why he was so angry at that one woman at the end. But also whatever. I don't know.
0: I'm not sure what part we're talking about.
1: At the very end, he's he's like not oh, happy. Oh,
0: the the Indian lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she obfuscated some information, and also she was just straight up there to take out the other lady that he liked. Um, like she yeah, was but just also wasn't
1: she a part of like his own organization um, that he created in the future?
0: Yeah, but she was a messy part for some reason.
1: Yeah, that part didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, I didn't totally understand what her motivation yeah. was. Like, Same thing was, with, that,
0: with the cell phone thing. I think there was a line that I missed that explained why her <laughs> using the cell phone indicated to him to go find the Indian lady to keep her from killing her.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It was weird.
0: <laughs> Guys, this movie's good. It's just hard. It's just what?
1: It's a mess. It's a good mess. Yeah, it's, it's a, a hot mess. mess. It's a hot mess of a it's movie. It's a good
0: Christopher Nolan mess. But yeah, it's watch kind Inception of a cold again. mess of
1: a movie more. of.
0: <laughs> if it's inverted. depends if what direction inverted. you're watching it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, you know what? I would recommend it, but I don't think like it's.
0: It's not for everyone.
1: It's definitely not for everyone. It's like and you, I you have
0: to want to try to like it because that's kind of where I'm at. Like I like Christopher Nolan. I like his ideas. I like the things he goes for. I want to like it. But it's—he's just making it hard. This might <laughs> displace
1: like the prestige uh, for like the dark horse of the uh,
0: Nolan canon. Or what's that other one? Prestige is good. No, you're thinking insomnia. Insomnia. Yeah, no one remembers insomnia, which was yeah, also th- a remake, which is something he doesn't do very often. Actually, yeah. just that once, I think. Anyway, let's let's get into overall notes.
1: Let's get into overall notes. All right, so time travel. It can be, as we saw today, a very powerful and interesting narrative tool. It can also just be a fun one. Like it doesn't necessarily have to mean too much in a movie if you don't want it to. It can just be for some exoticism or some fantasy in a movie, like in uh, time after time. But there is a lot of ways to incorporate it into a theme like we saw that can be really, 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 really cool Mm -hmm. and useful and add a lot of depth.
0: But it's also interesting that it doesn't – like I mentioned before, it doesn't necessitate any one theme over another. Like it can be used – It's very broad, yeah. Yeah, it can be used in a lot of different ways for a lot of a, different types of character development. It can be used for just building a romance story, you know, someone who is is missing someone that, they, that has passed or that they um, drifted apart from. Or it can be used for like – serious world ending like (laughs) devastating consequences that kind of thing
1: yeah 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 yeah. it's kind of kind of the swiss army knife of like movie concepts in a sense both in the sense that there's so many different kinds of time travel to use and they all have like a different advantage or like purpose to be used for Uh, but it can also be used on almost any sort of uh, movie that has space for it like or any sort of theme or plot you want to tackle. I mean, heck, there's a Harry Potter movie that's all about time travel. That is yeah. maybe o- almost always considered at least at the top tier of Harry Potter movies.
0: Um, and, I mean, speaking of um, suspension of disbelief, like just by including time travel, which, as you said, I mean, as most of us will probably take for granted, is th- physically and pretty much theoretically impossible. Um The like you're you're just setting up like basically you get dealt a certain amount of suspension of disbelief chips just by saying we're doing a a time travel story. Like, okay, I know I'm going to have to accept this at least. But let's see how how it goes from there. Um, And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a it's one of those things that, like we say, if a movie. Is has to set the rules for. The rules of the game that it's going to play and then it has to Uh keep abiding by them the whole time. But if you spend the whole movie reading the rule book, you're also kind of (laughs) undercutting yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You'll also have your head feel as fuzzy as it does after you read a rule book. Yeah. Which is kind of a pretty accurate experience for the first time I watched Tenet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, I was I was surprised that by the end of this watch-through, and I know there are others that that deal with this more specifically, but there were very few of these movies, which are pretty popular, um, pretty well-known, that not many of these deal with the idea of, like, a fate or a predestination or, like, these, these actions are destined for you to do regardless of how you try to change them. So, like, Back to the Future is, like, we have we're definitely in danger of changing the future things will be bad if we do that um, tenet could have probably gone the predestination route but it didn't um, because you have entropy it's like you have to have dropped the bullet right that's like if if the bullet doesn't move then you never dropped it like there's a set way that things have gone in the future in order for them to go back to you that way or something but they didn't really get into that which is probably yeah probably good thing Um, there's
1: probably some interesting space there with like trying to prevent something that happened in the past but no matter how hard you try you can't do it
0: the popular example of that i think terminator dealt with that a lot i think that's probably where it came in a lot we didn't cover terminator but it would have fit well with these movies i think yeah and then it just becomes an unmitigated mess after the second one (laughs) right right but the idea is the first two are a lot of can you change your stars? Are things set in stone? If you um, could change like your fate, that. would ya? Oh gosh, we're not, we're not going there. But yeah, so here's the thing that I wanted to come, to loop back to, if you will, is this idea of convenience. And I think like using coincidence to get your characters out of trouble. And I think time travel has become that convenience for modern blockbuster movies, for specifically <laughs> those in the Marvel, yeah. in the superhero genre. It's like, we're just going to use time travel to erase anything we don't like that we think we can get more money out of. And we're just going to yeah. reset the timeline, which you've heard a million times. We're going to do, you know, whatever it is, reverse entropy on on mm. unnamed multi-million dollar figure who needs to come back and make more movies. And it's well, like, especially that's, at this it's point, getting tired.
1: A lot of these, I mean, a lot of these franchises are starting to cross like the 15 year mark and stuff. And like, it's its at the point where like people have moved on. <laughs> like, yeah. like the the people making them, like the actors in them have moved on. So they're, they're trying to find ways to make all this make sense as people leave the franchise or um, certain or stories wrap up. Or to keep them up, in the
0: franchise it's, after it's they getting, kill them it's, all. It's getting messier and messier. And it's like, so, Star Trek did it. And it's like, okay, we're done now, right? <laughs> can we be done? Anyway, th- I'm just saying there are there are good ways to use time travel, but there are also really sloppy and lazy ways to use time travel, just to as a means to an end. And if it's yes. used well, it can be really interesting, and it can add a layer of complexity. It can add a mm-hmm. layer of interest to the the story that you're trying to tell about. People and the way that they change and interact with other people, but if you go yeah. too far into it, or if you just treat it as an out, then you're gonna lose people, right? Yeah, it's gonna feel cheap.
1: Yeah. Um, but of course, we also should say that there is an element of time travel in like every movie ever. Oh yeah, because that's what uh,
0: that's what the movies thing,
1: are. The thing that makes a movie mo- a movie is it's an image over time. That's the equation, right? is yeah. that the image changes over time. So all movies include some kind of time travel, they just don't call attention to it. The least time traveling movies are probably like the ones that are all set in like one take. But even those mess around with the idea of time travel because they create tension at certain points, they create they ease tension at other points to create a difference of like your re, your your subjective perception, your relative perception of time in different moments
0: and then you have the meta level which is that films are time travel because they are literal records of and I got I got way into this on a bonus podcast I'm gonna do it again here Um, but especially if we're talking about film film is like like celluloid film is a time capsule because the way film works is it's a little strip of chemicals that interacts with photons which are the literal particles of light. So when you're recording on film, the light of whatever is happening in front of the camera is being actually captured via that celluloid, and it is being preserved to then be viewed again at a later time. So whatever events were happening in front of the camera, and to a more digital degree with digital cameras, you are re-experiencing an event that happened in real life. Now, granted, in films, we're usually using that to record people dressing up and pretending to be other things and play out characters and that gives us kind of a mental philosophical playground to experience a life that we're not living. But to some extent, that is someone's life that was being lived and they were pretending. You know, the, the, my favorite clip of um, extras of uh, Sir Ian McKellen. I'm Sir Ian and then the director says, action, I'm Gandalf, you shall not pass. And then he says, cut, I'm, sir, Ian, sir, Ian, sir, Ian. He's pretending, right? <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. so film is a time capsule and the way that we take that and then we're taking those captured moments and you see that in documentary too, because those are not pretending to be a different time or a different place. Um, and we're taking those and we're cutting them and we're taking time out of them and we're rearranging the time that they happened and the time that we're experiencing them And this is all happening subconsciously. And this is like something that we take for granted because film and video on our phones and video that we experience on social media is so ubiquitous. But this is something that like the early filmmakers, the early photographers thought about a lot because you are literally capturing time, rearranging it, and then asking the audience to believe something about it, some truth in the way that you've presented it. If it's a documentary, you're trying to present a truth about the way that the world is, if you're presenting a fictional story, you're presenting a truth about the way that the world could be, or should be, or shouldn't be. Um, and that's really interesting. Like when we're talking about time travel, we're talking about what films are, in a different way than the way the books are, or the way that even photographs are, because photographs are a moment in time. It's not time made up of time, because movies, movies are made up of images over time. A photograph is just an image. And so there's time images, (laughs) time is integral to what movies and video are. And so this is like such a meta concept that we can't like not talk about this when we get into time travel in movies, because now we're kind of drawing back that curtain, although we're not trying to draw attention to the fact that films are time travel when we're talking about time travel movies. But maybe Mm -hmm. we should.
1: Now uh, now Jonathan has talked about time travel so much that he has reversed his own entropy. I'm going everything back to the beginning of the this.
0: podcast. See you at the top, Alex. Yeah, every,
1: everything you've heard in this podcast was actually Jonathan going from, from the front. He was the red team or the blue team or whatever team.
0: Also, they never switched colors. Like, aren't Once you pass a certain point, don't you put the other color on or something? I don't
1: know how it works <laughs> anymore. I, I'm, I'm totally lost. I thought I was lost beforehand, but now I'm really lost.
0: Oh, man. Okay, well, um, yeah, so like I said, people have thought about this a lot, and if you want to t- talk about someone who's thought about it, probably way too much, look at Tarkovsky. He A lot of his movies don't deal directly with time travel, but he plays with they the – They are very much a form of time travel. Yeah, now. he plays with the presentation of time and the organ- – and he thinks about it, and he's written um, – he has a book called Sculpting in Time. I think he also has best a book books called – about filmmaking? Yeah. I think he also has a book called Mosaic of Time, which is a really interesting way of thinking about editing. Um, because like I said, you're taking time and cutting it into bite-sized pieces and rearranging it like a mosaic. Um, so Tarkovsky is a great resource if you're interested in that (laughs) philosophical mumbo jumbo about, um, film as time. And of course, as we said, there are a lot of movies we haven't covered. Um, there are a lot of forms of time travel that we didn't really get into so just a little um bit of further watching stuff and Alex please fill in the holes where I've forgotten stuff but portals and uh like wormholes uh we have interstellar there are some others there are a lot of space movies like that they're not always portals in time but like a wrinkle in time which is traditionally a book but they did make a movie about it has the famous image of folding up in it. yeah the famous image of folding up two pieces of paper and pushing a pencil through them to like, yeah, fold that stranger
1: thing's shamelessly
0: stole. No, I think, yeah, Interstellar actually used it too. Like, that's been used so many times. Um, uh, and then you have space time, hyper sleep, uh, the going to sleep for a long time, coming up in another time, Rip Van like Winkle alien. effect, alien, although that wasn't really used as a time. Travel no, effect. it was just kind of a, a world element. I did see someone tweet the other day though that the next time you think you're having a bad day or uh, a bad going through oh, a bad yeah, season, like all three just, Alien <laughs>
1: movies take place in like a day or something. Yeah, like just that.
0: remember that from Ripley's perspective, all three Alien movies take place over the course of six weeks or something like that. Yeah, like, that's rough. She just keeps going into hypersleep and then waking up to aliens wreaking more havoc. Anyway. Um, The most famous example of that is Planet of the Apes, of which I will say no more. We've covered Planet of the Apes. Um, We have the parallel universes, which we did not cover. Uh, Primer does the parallel universes um, really well. Uh, There's also oracles and visions, which is where you just get information about the future that you wouldn't have otherwise had, and that affects the way that you act so Minority Report is a really good example of that. Paycheck kind of does that, which was also John Woo, but we didn't cover that one. Um, the Matrix is kind of that, but it's not really about, like, time. It's about way more than that. Uh, again, Frequency is kind of like that, like talking across time. And then there's, like, the, the modes of transport that are still me- mechanized, but they're not vehicles per se. So, like, La Jete, uh Primer, 12 Monkeys timeline it's like you go in a box or you get hooked up to a machine and then you time travel get in box and then there's just a lot more do you th- do you have any others off the top of your head <laughs> but i know uh, i missed a lot i'm trying to cover as much there are there
1: are there are so many that i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna bother there, there are some that
0: over the last month while we've been watching these movies I mean like Oh yeah, that's a time travel movie too, isn't it? Mm. Oh yeah, is not. I guess that's a time travel movie.
1: Sometimes it's such a minor element that you you don't even think about it. Yeah, you know, not every time travel movie calls attention to the fact that uh, time travels.
0: A or it's just su- it's just such a basic element that it doesn't yeah. even feel like it warrants being called out.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. It's also very popular in lots of TV shows these days. Yeah. Um, Umbre- Umbrella Academy is a big one that has a lot of time travel in it. Um, the whole second season is time travel, actually. Uh, there's a lot of uh, comic books, manga, anime that deal with time travel. It is very popular at the moment. Several episodes of
0: Twilight Zone, several episodes of Star Trek. Uh, I'm sure Stargate did that, although I don't recall Stargate exactly.
1: Stargate did do it, and Stargate had a Groundhog Day episode, too. I remember that.
0: Okay. It was yeah, my, so one of my favorite episodes as a kid. It's It's become, yeah, very useful for science fiction and especially anthologically like that because it is kind of a playground. And so when you're doing a sci-fi anthology where every episode is just a different kind of, uh, thought experiment slash playground, like it's a really easy technique to just pick up for an episode. Exactly. And it's also in the, in the service of TV shows, maintaining a status quo, Again, it's also really convenient for picking up for an episode and not having too many repercussions after the fact.
1: Exactly, exactly. You can just undo it with time travel.
0: Reset the timeline.
1: All right, Jonathan. So next time on the podcast, who
0: are we talking about? Yeah, next time we're talking about not a director, not an actor, but a VFX artist extraordinaire, uh, someone who has inspired many, who was inspired by some of the great animators although not in the way you may expect we're talking about ray harryhausen who was a classic claymation animator responsible for a lot of really great um monster uh animations and designs and uh stuff like that so the films that we're going to be talking about are mighty joe young from 1949 the seventh voyage of sinbad from 1958 Jason and the Argonauts from 1963, and Clash of the Titans from 1981.
1: But have you considered, Jonathan, that maybe we've already talked about all these movies, and we just don't know it yet? Maybe. We've reversed entropy of all the podcasts now. We've reversed the entropy of you, listener to this podcast. You are now (laughs) traveling backwards in
0: time. Stay away from heat. You might get frostbite. Um, yeah, exactly. But we did reverse the entropy of the bonus podcast accidentally. And we've uh, so if you want more time travel, it's available right now. You can listen to our episode on La Jetée from the French New Wave. Uh, it is a film that, again, we go into like really meta territory with it. But it's a film completely comprised of still frames. And it's about time travel. And so, and it's also really short, so you can find it online. It'll only take you about 24 minutes to watch it. Uh, And it inspired 12 Monkeys. So there you go. There's a lot of reasons to go listen to us talk about that movie.
1: Exactly. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode.
0: To find links to things that we talked about today, as well as a complete list of past episodes and all 437 films we've covered so far, visit thefilmlinks.com.
1: You can also join us for ongoing film discussions on our Discord server.
0: And to stay posted about upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter
2: at the TheFilmlings. Summaries for each of the films this episode were recorded by me, Jason Harden. You can find me on Twitter at Jay 1994
1: If you like the show, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes so other people will know what we're all about.
0: We definitely appreciate it.
1: Talk to you next time.
0: All right, see ya. or whatever the reverse of that is (laughs) there was one track that I can I'm pretty sure every piece of the music was being played in reverse it was super cool
1: I believe it